Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. So my name's Doug, and I'm glad to be with you this morning. And um, as mentioned on the insert in your bulletin, we are really glad to be part of this church. And uh, it's kind of a a 50-50 thing. We are meeting new people and getting to know some wonderful Christian people in this congregation. And many of you we knew uh, 20 years ago when we used to live in Creston, and, um, you know, how incredible it is that some of the kids who hung out with our kids back then are now in leadership positions uh, in this church, whether it's music or on the leadership team. And, um, you know, we all get older. <laughs> uh, last Sunday, we were making our way back from uh, a little vacation time in San Diego. We were driving and we were on our third day of driving. And uh, it was really, really a tough drive from Missoula to the border. Four hours in just incredible blinding snow. And um, a lot of people don't like to drive in that, but I'll tell you, I like to drive in that. I like a challenge. And there were no other cars in the road, and it was dark, and had to make the border by 11. And, you know, it was just amazing. Anyways, this morning... This morning we're running late coming out of the out of our house and and um, you know the roads are still a little greasy a little little snowy and I'm wanting to go real fast because we're running late and I got to get my stick to Jack and 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 team to get the PowerPoint ready and um, and lo and behold we were behind a slow car and there were two other cars in front of us behind that slow car, and I said to Yvonne, that person's going to our church. (laughs) So it was one of you, (laughs) and I'm so glad that my wife restrained me from being rude and angry and flustered Acts chapter 8. Uh, this is an incredible story. It might be familiar to some of you. I want you to catch the, the flow of things. Uh, it just flows uh, from a very, very intriguing beginning uh, to a satisfying ending. It uh, is rather lengthy. I'll go as fast as I can. I don't have the scripture up on the uh, the screen. If you have a Bible, uh, either a Bible Bible or a phone Bible or whatever, you can follow in Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, uh, the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. 
And in his way, on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Oh, stop there. Only one little comment, only one interjection uh, in the reading of the word. I, I was actually reading a very reputable commentary on Acts, and I couldn't believe what I read. And he said that one of the lessons that comes out of this passage is that every time you take a journey, you should be reading. Honest, I can, I can show you. He says, this is why they have bookstores and airports. And this is why they're always crowded. And I believe that you should redeem the time. And so usually when I travel, what do I do, Yvonne? Sleep. <laughs> or eat. You're supposed to read to redeem the time. Actually, uh, one of the Wesleys did say, did say that when you journey, you should be reading. So if that's a lesson for you today, there it is, but it's not part of the sermon. Okay, let's continue. He was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture, and here it is. This is from Isaiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he entered and he ordered the chariot to stop. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Lord God, we pray that in these few minutes we have that your word will come alive, that we'll understand that there is a message for us in this story. Help us, Lord, to block out those things that would distract us and help us to concentrate on your word. Please teach us, O Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of you have pets. Do any of you have Bird pets? Anybody admit this? I, I've never had a bird pet, but some, some birds can talk, right? Or at least mimic human sound. Uh, do you know what kind of birds they are? Mine a bird, yeah. I think there's some kind of parrots. Budgies sometimes, yeah. Well, anyways, I read this. I'm great research. I read this 
If you want to know, the African gray parrot can learn up to a thousand words. I, that's more than I can handle. And um, anyways, this story, just to make the point, and I tend to concentrate too much on the story, so let's go real quick. On Monday, somebody went, you may have heard this. This is a Reader's Digest, chicken soup kind of stuff. And you know, you know what goes on on those emails that your Aunt Bertha sends you or the stuff you see on Facebook from some people who, who, who just have nothing better to do but send you these kind of stories. It's all chicken soup and Reader's Digest type stuff from decades and decades ago. Anyways, the lady went in you know, on Monday to buy a talking bird pet and the guy gave him some kind of, gave her some kind of parrot and says, take good care. Here's a cage. Here's your bird. Go home and the bird will talk to you. The bird didn't talk to her. She went back Tuesday and said, hey, the bird's not talking to me. You heard this story before? The bird's not talking to me. And he says, oh, well, what you really need is you need a swing to help the bird relax, and then he'll talk. So she bought a swing and went home, and no words. She went back on Wednesday and said, my bird isn't talking to me. What's wrong with this bird? You sold me a faulty bird. He says, oh, well, you need to buy a ladder because a talking bird really needs some exercise. Oh, got the ladder, purchased the ladder, went home, came back Thursday. My bird isn't talking to me. Oh, well, you need to buy a mirror because the parrot needs to see that there's someone he can talk to all the time. So bought a mirror, went home. The bird didn't talk to her. She went back Friday and said, bad news, my bird died. Well, didn't your bird say anything to you before he died? Well, just one thing. Well, what was that? Does that store have any food or not? <laughs> what we try to do what we try to do is, is overcomplicate things and buy all the bells and the whistles, make life better. And I want to tell you that what this scripture shouts out to me, this scripture shouts out to me that Jesus is at the center of the gospel message. We're tempted to add a lot of other fun stuff, a lot of other questionable theology, but all we really need to do when we're telling something, someone, about something, the gospel, we just need to concentrate on the essence. And so I say to you, Jesus at the center. Now there's important things in this passage that could be discussed, but not today. I mean, let's be honest, this is a passage that mentions baptism. Well, if you know, one of the things that divides Christians rather than unifies Christians is getting a heavy theological discussion about baptism. Well, it's not my responsibility. I'm not the pastor of the church to teach you any doctrine on baptism. But to tell you that I understand that in the Christian church, there is a spectrum of belief on baptism. I grew up and was ordained in a denomination which emphasized infant baptism and adult confirmation upon confession of faith in Christ. 
And that denomination also is not afraid and is actually a proponent of adult baptism when someone is converted and has never been baptized before. And so, you know, I've done all kinds of baptisms. And then we had the privilege of working in a congregational church in Boston, and that was a church that uh, would uh, uh, affirm infant baptism and uh, uh, believer's confirmation or infant dedication and believer's baptism. And we all got along. Doesn't always happen. And then in the twilight of my pastoral career, I was preaching and pastoring a Baptist church. And it was an international Baptist church, and we wanted to be heavy on Christ and heavy on international and heavy on English speaking. And I thought we wanted to be light on baptism, too. I mean, we were a Baptist church, and that's not a problem, but when that becomes the major issue. Anyways, we're not going to talk about baptism. The other thing we could talk about is eunuchs, but that's a little uncomfortable for me. It's not really dinner table topic conversation, and I'm glad the kids are not in the room. And um, just so you know, though, I did read in in uh, my research that the word uh, in Greek was also used to describe people, people who were official court workers. So there may be some, was this a literal situation or not? Anyways, that's another topic for another time. We could talk about angel guidance. How does that work? <laughs> Have you ever been guided by an angel? How do you know? I'd like to hear your stories, right? That's another time. And uh, how about being spirited away? You know, we use that phrase. Well, here it is right here at the very end. Uh, Philip just disappears by the spirit. Well, how does that happen? I like how Tom introduced his message last week with the uh, sleight of hand, the illusion, the magic. By the way, we like the exact same movies, let me tell you. Well, let's put this in context, this story, and then we'll learn some lessons. Uh, Acts 8.1, Tom mentioned this last week. Acts chapter 8.1, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. This is the beginning of the story about the spread of Christianity into the outer circles, those concentric circles that come from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall be witnesses for me. And the center of Jerusalem, and then we expand, and then we expand, and then we get to all the world. So putting this story in context, is that the gospel is moving outwards. And then, of course, Acts chapter 6 is the choosing of all of the people to help the apostles, and one of them is Philip. And one of the qualifications is to be filled with the Spirit, which is kind of the big context of this whole sermon series. You might have some questions. 
I think we should talk a little bit, if you go to slide number five, we should talk a little bit about geography, my favorite, my major in university. And then we should talk a little bit about God, and a little bit about the Ethiopian, and a little bit about Philip, and then we'll learn some lessons. It's uncertain as to where Philip was when this story starts. He had been in Samaria, or that was the first part of Acts chapter 8, north of Jerusalem. And now he's all of a sudden told to go far away from there to this road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, the coast. We don't know where he is, but we know he's moving away from Jerusalem. Did he start in Jerusalem? Did he start in Samaria? Or did he start in Caesarea, which is where he ends up in this passage, and where later in the book of Acts, chapter 21, we find out that he actually had a home in Caesarea. But just so you know, we're talking about uh, this 20-mile stretch on the Mediterranean coast, which uh, Philip seems to be doing incredible amount of gospel saturation. And then in our geography lesson today, maybe we need to talk just a little bit about Ethiopia, not just the country of Ethiopia as we know it now in Africa, but it was also the southern part of Egypt. In the Old Testament, it was called Cush, sometimes known as Nubia. Here's the most interesting fact about the geography. We need to know this. In ancient literature, Ethiopians were considered as living, are you ready, at the ends of the earth. And that goes back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The word is going to go. You're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Well, we better talk about God, and we'll just say this one thing, and it's a mammoth, mammoth truth. God orchestrates. I don't care what your theological position is on predestination and free will. Every Christian will acknowledge that in some way, God orchestrates our lives. And he says to Philip, go to the desert road. And he says to Philip, go to the chariot. And he says to Philip, stay by the chariot. And then he hears the Ethiopian reading the passage from Isaiah. How did the Ethiopian happen to be in that place at that time? And how does Philip happen to be in that place at that time? And why is it such a great passage in Scripture that we consider to be messianic, talking about God orchestrates. God is so much bigger than us and so much bigger than our understanding. And that reassures me. Let's talk about the Ethiopian, an important official for the queen, the outward expansion of Christianity, and again, Tom talked about that last week. Don't fence Jesus in. Jesus crosses lines, ethnic lines, geographical lines. The Ethiopian has gone to Jerusalem to worship. Did you hear that? Just a little phrase. 
He had been to Jerusalem to worship. He wasn't a Jew. So he was most likely then either a God-fearer, which is a Gentile who knows that there is one true, only God and, and, and seeks after him, or he could have been a proselyte, a convert to Judaism. He was reading Isaiah, but he was confused and he was curious. Remember, he is described as a eunuch. Well, I said we wouldn't talk about it, but just to say this. From Deuteronomy chapter 23, we know that eunuchs were excluded from the temple. But, and, and I never knew this. I never knew this until this week. But he was reading from Isaiah. He was reading from Isaiah 53. But do you know that there's a passage in Isaiah 56? So I wonder if he knew about this passage or if he had read it and was going back to Isaiah 53 or if he was yet to get to it. But, but just, just listen to this. Are you ready? For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better, better than sons and daughters. The eunuch's not going to have sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Wow, that's Isaiah 56. And I think that's truly significant. And it holds out hope and promise for a foreigner and for a eunuch. The eunuch wanted to be baptized. Had Philip said something to him about baptism? Or if he was a proselyte, to be a convert to Judaism, they had to actually be baptized. So he knew something about the concept. And then the one I love is he went on his way rejoicing. That's common when God changes and touches lives. People go on their way rejoicing, crying from, from happiness. You don't believe that? Luke 15. A lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost prodigal son. What's the reaction? Great joy. The angels rejoice when a sinner is converted. And this guy goes away rejoicing. Well, a word quickly about, the, about Philip. Uh, he obeyed the angel. 
says he started out immediately. He went on a mission trip. He didn't know all the details. God ever asked you to do something and you don't know all the details? You're in good company, Abram. Remember him from the Old Testament? Philip obeyed the Spirit. He ran to the chariot. Not like Jonah who ran the other way. Able to discern God's voice in a world of competing and often loud voices. How do you hear from the Spirit? How do you hear God speaking through an angel or His voice? How do you hear unless you are familiar with it? Jesus said in John chapter 10 when He was talking about being the good shepherd, my sheep, what? They know my voice. They know my voice. It's interesting that he heard the Ethiopian reading. Was he just kind of getting close enough to eavesdrop? He heard the Ethiopian reading. To me, that's a lesson about how to be paying attention to what really concerns people. When you're mingling with people in a social setting, in, uh, for introverts, you know, it, it, it's hard sometimes to pay attention to what people are saying. But listen to them. Hear what they're wrestling with. Philip heard the Ethiopian. He was paying attention. He knew the Ethiopian's pain point. If you're going to be a good salesman, you listen to the customer and you find out what their pay point is and then you give them the benefit. Philip knew what the pain point was, his confusion, his frustration in knowing who was being talked about in this passage. And then Philip asks a question that was relevant. A leading non-confrontation. You got this? Hey, Ethiopian, do you know Jesus? Okay, non-confrontational. Pick up on where the guy is. Seize the opportunity. And then he explains. So we got, we got Philip obeying the angel obeying the spirit, hearing the Ethiopian, asking a question, explaining the good news about Jesus, starting with that very passage. Start where people are. No bait and switch tactic. Oh, I'm glad you invited me up to sit with you. Now let me tell you something else. Let's talk about what you're wrestling with. And then he was ready for the action step. How would it have been is the Ethiopian says, here's some water. What's preventing me from getting baptized? And Philip says, oh, I don't know how to do a baptism. Well, I, let's leave that for someone else. It's kind of like Peter when he was preaching at Pentecost. And he preaches a great powerful sermon. Talks about Jesus. Uses Old Testament. Uses uses. Uh, uh, Stories that have just happened, and, and the people say, oh no, what are we to do? Read it, Acts chapter 2, what are we to do? 
And Peter says, okay, I'll tell you what you have to do. Be saved from this crazy generation. How awful would it have been if Peter said, you're asking what to do? I don't know. He was ready for the action step. And then interestingly enough, I love this, he just repeated the same thing over and over again because after he left the Ethiopian, he's preaching all the way up the coast of the Mediterranean, doing the same thing over and over again. Okay, slide number six. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Oh, very quickly. (laughs) Seven lessons. Personal evangelism is just as important as public evangelism. First part of chapter 8, they're doing some public evangelism. Now he's doing one-on-one. Just as important. Equal attention. Second lesson. The gospel is for both Jews and Gentiles. That's not such big news for us. That was big news then. Big news then. But if you look at it this way, the gospel is for everyone. Go into all the world. No one is to be excluded from hearing about Jesus. It's for all the world and includes both Jews and Gentiles and even includes eunuchs. For us, the common pattern of thinking is that we have a corner on the market when it comes to God. My church, my denomination, my culture's got it right. And we think about how Christian life lives and works its way out. I have to say, hello, Canadians. Hello, Western culture. Have you ever seen and been and been with Asian Christians, African Christians? The church is big, much bigger than us. Too often we think we have a corner on the market. If there's one thing I could do, here's my dream in retirement. If health was good, and and if money was good, I would love to do bridge building between Christians here and all over the world. That's my passion. The church is big, Jews and Gentiles. Lesson number three, building on this thought, a Gentile, a eunuch, this man could easily have considered himself on the fringe of society and outside where God will work. Much like the shepherds when we talk at the Christmas story. Low, low esteem. I want you to know that if you have ever thought that you are on the perimeter and God will never love you. I want to kick you in the rear end and tell you this. God loves you. 
God loves you. No matter where you are in society, I'm not educated. I don't have money. I've done some horrible things. God loves you. Lesson number four. Here the process is pretty compact. It all happens in a short period of time. The reality is that in many cases, it takes a long time for someone to come from being explained the gospel to being committed through baptism. And, and I think all are okay. Sometimes it happens in an evening. Sometimes it happens on a chariot ride. Sometimes it happens over years of Sunday school and youth group experience and summer camp experience. And then someone is privileged to be at the right place at the right time to kind of seal the deal. It's like links in a chain. Remember in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about planting the seed, watering the plant, causing the growth and harvest. Okay, lesson number five, which is why I chose the title I did, Don't Overcomplicate the Message. The scriptures, even the Old Testament, point to Jesus. Luke says in this account that the good news is Jesus. There. Words are are used synonymously. One author, and I can't remember his name, and one of you can point out to me afterwards, talked about uh, 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 Christology, which is the doctrine of Christ, and and, and said, what is essential in our understanding of Jesus? And and he says, think of a car. And if I take uh, the front tires off, is it still a car? And if I take the steering wheel off, is it still a car? And if I take the back bumper off, is it still a car? Kind of looks like some of the ones you have in your yards, I know. And, and, and if I take the engine out, is it still a car? Well, the, the way I would teach that is, 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 yeah, you can take a few things off the car and it's still a car, What can you take off of Christianity and it's still Christianity? And I would say, once you you jettison the resurrection, you got nothing. Because that is what Jesus, uh, that that is what validates in my mind uh, that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, there's a whole ways of going about this. So, So now the point is this. Now the point is this. The message of the gospel not that doctrine is unimportant. And we need to know about the end times. And we need to understand this whole debate between uh, God's sovereignty and free will. We need to understand baptism. We need to understand just how grace works. But the essence of what makes Christianity Christianity is Jesus. Jesus at the center. And that's what this passage is all about. Discipleship later. Then you can talk about theology 101 and church history. And, and, you know, the gospel is not about a style of music. 
It's not about which translation of the scriptures you're going to use. The gospel is not about whether the men should sit on one side and the women should sit on another side. It's not about whether you stand to sing or sit down to sing or whether you kneel to pray or stand to pray. That's not the gospel. I've been to India and I was going to be the third preacher of the morning. That doesn't happen in Creston. So I'll make up for it as one doing three. I'm sitting in the front row. I'm sitting in the front row. All of a sudden, the other preachers start taking their shoes off. I'm thinking, oh, are they hot or what? Then I realized that I looked at the worship leaders on the stage. They were all in bare feet or with their socks on. You know why? It's holy ground. Holy ground, you take your shoes off. That's the culture that they've attached to their expression of worship. It's not right, it's not wrong. But because I was in their house, I took my shoes off. Come with us to the Roma villages in Romania. And worship, worship with Roma people, worship with Roma Pentecostal people. In the Roma culture, loud is good, louder is better. That goes for your praying and for your music. You just get reverberated out. You know, you know, the room is like, it's like not even as big as this stage. And they got big speakers up all over the walls. The whole building literally shakes. Your ears are killing you. Oh, that's because God can hear us. Everybody's praying at one time with voices yelling. That's part of their culture. But it's not part of the gospel, right? Oh, big discussions when I first got ordained a million years ago. Oh, should the pastor wear a robe or not? Should the choir wear a robe or not? Should there even be a choir? It's not the essence of the gospel. Jesus is the essence of the gospel. Two more quick lessons. You don't have to be a professional church worker, ordained or appointed, or a missionary appointed person to be able to share Christ. We're all called to personal evangelism. Point number seven, and I end with this. This, from a colleague in Barrie, Ontario, who, I don't know, he's a super pastor. He does everything. He doesn't have a staff. Every day he writes a devotional and it goes up everywhere on social media. Every day, and he sends it out to his people. He also has a minute devotional on a radio station in Barrie called the Updevo. And you can see it at updevo.com, Matthew Rattan. Very insightful. This was from Friday, just a couple of days ago. You can't share powerfully. And would you say that Philip shared powerfully? You can't share powerfully what you don't know personally. Philip knew Jesus. And the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. And he was able to do the work of personal evangelism. Well, that's a great chapter. Acts chapter 8. And uh, 
If you miss some of the stuff, go back and listen to it when it gets put up on the website. I'm done. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey. Whether you're finding Jesus for the first time, or you have been following him for years. If you have been listening for a while, perhaps you're wondering how you can support the church financially. To find out, please go to ericksoncovenant.ca and click on the Donate tab. Thank you for being part of this journey with us. Every day we are seeking to help people to find and follow Jesus.